welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 330. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. For this week's show, we bring you Trifecta Special number 28, three different flash stories by three different authors, but unified by some similar theme. Our theme for Trifecta 28, Change of Heart. Remember back in the 80s when Tony the Tiger had this to say about Frosted Flakes? As anyone who doesn't quite understand the workings of math will tell you, Tony's made a complete 360 degree change on his stance regarding that particular Kellogg's product. Has the product evolved somehow throughout the years? Has he ever tried another cereal to base his comparison on? How did they even get a tiger to eat tiny flakes of sugar-laden corn? Whatever happened to Kate Bush? Who knows? But you know what? Good for Tony. Ask anyone posting on internet forums today and they'll tell you, the wisest people, people who tend to be right most of the time, are usually those who have the capacity to change their minds a lot and revise their understanding of a matter. They reconsider problems they thought they had solved. Ask them, which is better, Star Wars or Star Trek? And I guarantee you, you'll get a considerate, well-thought-out dialogue between two parties, both making very strong cases, and in the end, finally finding common ground by answering the gentle but alien embrace of a female. This week, we bring you Earth Music by Mariah Hetherington, Golden Years in the Paleozoic by Ken Liu, and A Weekend with the Owl God by Frank Key. We'll start things off with Mariah Hetherington's Earth Music. Mariah lives outside of Seattle with her husband and three daughters, where she makes sporadic attempts to learn the Scottish Gaelic language. Her fiction's appeared in Penumbra Ezine and is forthcoming in the Urban Green Man Anthology, and you can find her blog at mariah.net. This story is a Drabblecast original. The story is read to you by Matt Weller. Matt's a friend and talented colleague of mine over at Escape Pod, the weekly, strictly science fiction audio magazine I edit for. Matt's the production manager over there and does a great job doing it. You've heard his crisp, bassy tones here on the Drabblecast before, actually in Trifecta Special 25, where he read Anthony Rapino's story, Morning Espresso and the Church of Me. Always great to have Matt back on the show. So without further ado, we bring you Earth Music by Mariah Hetherington. A potted arrangement of anemones recoiled from Polbo's wake of odiferous irritation as he jetted through the passageway. His meeting with the grand curator of the Interspecies Museum of Music was a disaster. Despite working long hours and skipping conjugal visits with his spousal cluster, the exhibit wasn't ready. Polvo's superior demanded he include at least one earth piece in the exhibit, or the project would be transferred to another set of ambitious tentacles. Hakarls. 
When the grand curator announced an exhibition featuring musical art from every planet and culture in civilized space, Polbo begged to be awarded the creative lead position, arguing that he was far more qualified than his scheming, devious rival. Hakaro must have alerted their superior to the one missing art piece from Earth. Now, because of his failure to procure even one suitable artifact from that strange planet of gas breathers, his reputation as a music aficionado, as well as his future bid for the grand curator position, was at risk. Polbo burst through the undulating fronds, marking the entrance to his workspace. He breathed deeply, calmed by the flow of oxygenated liquid across his gill filaments. Ordinarily, he would not pollute the hallway with such a banal cloud of emotion, but an entire moon cycle had passed since his last conjugal release. Regaining his composure, Polbo noticed a package delivered during his absence. His associate on Earth sent him dozens of strange objects purported to produce music, each accompanied by an audio crystal. Recording technology adjusted for density differences between the gaseous medium of the native environment and standard one-atmosphere aqueous. So far, not even one Earth artifact came close to fulfilling his minimum expectation for musical art. Polbo approached the container with a plume of nervous trepidation. He ran two tentacles over the packaged seals and gushed relief. Fortunately, someone in reception broke the seals and opened it already. He would never forget the time he opened a sealed package from Earth and the unpleasant consequence of releasing a cubic meter of Earth air into his office. The stench of barbaric emotions and alien pheromones lingered for days. He opened the package, lifted the object into the open, and tasted every centimeter with his suckers. He was surprised by the Earth artifact's beauty, the feel and proportion vaguely familiar. The body of the alleged musical instrument was a bag, like a large mantle cavity. Attached to the bag were five appendages, similar to arms but stiff and hollow. Three arms boasted decorative ridges. The fourth was slim and without adornment. He guessed this was an inhalant siphon, used to fill the mantle cavity. Holes were drilled into the last appendage along its length. Pablo dropped the crystal into a player. Beautiful vibrations rippled through his office, a siren call to rival even the most enrapturing music from any planet in civilized space. Whilst the intoxicating music played, he rechecked the empty package and found an information tablet that explained how the music was formed. Polbo stroked the fascinating Earth object and imagined how Earth air pushing past sliced stems at the base of each exhale tube could create sound waves to produce the sensual melody. According to the tablet, this wondrous specimen of musical art was not, as he expected, universally beloved on its native planet. To his surprise, the report clearly stated humans, the primary sentient life form on Earth, either liked it or hated it. Overcome with curiosity, he pressed his exhale orifice to the Earth object's inhale siphon and carefully filled the cavity with a gentle stream. The plant fronds curtaining the entrance to his workspace surged toward him, as though blown by a surface-side wave. Hakarl's annoyance and surprise billed in front of her. What is that? she demanded. This magnificent earth artifact is the last piece of the musical art exhibit, Polbo indulged in a haze of triumphant smugness towards his rival. His project was finally complete. All he needed to do now was report to the Grand Curator. He would leave early and spend the entire evening entwined in undulating blissful union at home.
The exhibit would be a fabulous success, the pinnacle of his career. His reputation and job were secure, in spite of her plotting. Hakarl floated in a cloud of frustration that soon dissipated to be replaced by a flagrant wave of admiration. She drifted toward him demurely and ran one of her tentacles over the earth object as two more stroked his limb's sensitive underside. The nimble suckers at the tip of each tentacle caressed to within centimeters of his tender flesh. Polbo's sudden cloud of surprise momentarily masked the subtle but powerful fragrance of Hakarl's pheromones. She pressed herself against him, continuing to caress with two tentacles whilst she wrapped two more around the earth artifact. His dual hearts beat faster, and for a few moments he forgot to draw liquid across his gills. Hakarl squeezed the object's mantle cavity, causing a stream of current to rush from the artifact's appendages and brush exquisitely against his oversensitive glands. Hakarl exuded satisfaction. Why, Polbo, I never would have guessed your love of music was so... physical. Polbo recovered from his initial shock at Hakarl's unexpected advance. He nearly dropped the earth object in his eagerness to wrap his tentacles around her. She evaded his awkward grasp and jetted out of his office, leaving behind a wake of amusement. Polbo inhaled Hakarl's parting scent and struggled to regain his composure. Clearly, that nubile bundle of enticing pheromones was unable to resist his masculine charm. He considered inviting her to join his spousal cluster. The art exhibit's success would grant him greater status and influence, and he could afford to be magnanimous. Polbo imagined Hikaru's voluptuous body entangled in carnal embrace with himself and his spouses. He caressed the earthen musical instrument, remembering Hikaru's touch. Tentacles trembling, he brought the artifact's inhale siphon to his exhale orifice again and filled it with a rush of water. Enraptured by the surrounding music, he held each of the five appendages with a tentacle and aimed them at his aroused flesh. Hearts racing, he squeezed the mantle cavity, sending multiple streams of excruciatingly delicious currents over his glands. Polbo shuddered with release. Every muscle in his body contracted, accompanied by a reverberating crunch. The embarrassing tang of his spent seed floated around him, along with the hideously mangled pieces of the marvelous musical instrument. Chagrin and defeat enveloped Polbo's workspace. Hikaru would ruin his reputation after all. Next up, we bring you Golden Years in the Paleozoic by author Ken Liu. Ken was a programmer before he became a lawyer, before sweeping both the Hugo, Nebula, and World Fantasy Awards with his story The Paper Menagerie in 2012. His works appeared in FNSF, Asimov's, Clark's World, and other places, including the Drabblecast. His last being one of my favorites of ours, a fun Lovecraft mythos piece we ran last year called The Call of the Pancake Factory. Be sure to check that one out if you haven't heard it or read it yet. This story, Golden Years in the Paleozoic, was originally published in Andromeda Spaceways In-Flight magazine, September 2011. The story is read to you by Jeffrey Welchman. Jeffrey's a freelance writer, musician, voice actor, and podcaster, living here in the Drabblecast's home base city, Baltimore, Maryland. 
Jeffrey produces the podcast Inverse Delirium and has two albums of folk rocky blues out. I haven't met the guy myself in person, but he sounds like my kind of dude, so surely a few shared libations are in the near future. Find more of Jeff at jeffreywelchman.com. So without further ado, we bring you Golden Years in the Paleozoic by Ken Liu. Welcome, welcome. I hope the hylonymus eggs at breakfast were satisfactory. From that little lizard, we'll get both the chicken and the egg in 300 million years. Guess we solved that old mystery, huh? The flavor is excellent. A bit like a turtle egg, I'm told, and they have very little cholesterol. So, thank you for coming to our little presentation. People sometimes get leery, uh, wink wink, thinking we'll pressure you to commit. Not at all. Even though this meeting is required for your free three-day vacation, it doesn't have to be a chore. We just want to show you some facts about life here in Avalon communities. Facts give you options, and options are always good, right? Speaking of options, be sure to try the Carbonita Shrimp Salad with fern and horsetail at lunch. You can't get more organic than that. Fertilizers and pesticides are still two eras away. There's lots of vitamin E, and we can never have too much fiber, no matter our age. Well, there it is. Age. Might as well come out and say it. Your kids have been out of the house for a few years. You've had a good run in the stock market. The jobs are still fulfilling, but you know your career arcs are winding up. The big R is looming on the horizon. Where should you retire? Traditional destinations like Florida and Costa Rica are still popular, but do you really want to share the roads with 20 million other retirees? Not to mention the risk of another housing bubble. Some tout the benefits of a low-gravity retirement on the moon or Mars. It's supposed to be easier to move around and more forgiving on arthritic joints. But do you want to spend your golden years under a glass dome, breathing recycled air? What you really want, no, deserve is Eden. The fact is, folks, the earth of our time is too polluted and crowded, and no amount of filtering and scrubbing will ever clean it up. But the Carboniferous period, 350 million years before civilization, is the perfect time to retire. Here there's no smog, no noise, no congestion, no traffic, no chemicals in the air and water. At night, you can see a hundred times more stars than in the streets of L.A. and New York, except for a few thousand other retirees just like yourselves in Avalon Homes. You have the whole pristine planet, free from the teeming billions of our age. Someday, after the continents have drifted into their familiar places, the view outside that window will be called Massachusetts. But right now, it's just a beautiful beach next to the Paleotethys Ocean a sort of Paleozoic Mediterranean. The climate is tropical and the waves are gentle, great for sailing. You'll love snorkeling and fishing, too. Such fantastic corals, ammonites, and armored fishes lost to time. Not into the water? No problem. We have miles of hiking and riding trails into the misty Paleozoic jungle behind us. One day, these dense coastal swamp forests will turn into the world's supply of coal but right now they are your garden to stroll through. 
Would you believe that these huge trees are related to the insignificant horsetail and club moss? And the ferns, so many ferns, each with a fragrance as unique as a flower. That really surprised the botanists when they first came here. The amphibians and reptiles slithering and skittering through the jungle are friendly and curious, and will come to you if you bring them some dried fish pellets. Visiting grandchildren love to pet them. Oh no, we have no scary dinosaurs. They won't show up for another hundred million years. Ah, I know that look. You're still unconvinced. Sure, you think, this is a nice place to vacation, but why stay? Have you noticed anything different about the air here? How does it feel to breathe? You feel it, don't you? The air tastes better. You feel more energetic, more awake. You haven't felt this good since you were 20. Here's the real secret. The air here in the Carboniferous contains 75% more oxygen than the air of our time. When we get older, we lose alveoli and capillaries in our lungs. Our chests become less flexible and capacious. Less oxygen diffuses into our blood from the air sacs in the lungs. As we age, we slowly suffocate. This hyperoxic air is the fountain of youth. It allows us to breathe again freely, to enjoy exertion and activity that we thought were long behind us. You'll live longer and get to do it independently, too. Look at me. I hike. I fish. I run the Welcome Center. Would you believe that I'm 101? Interested in touring some model units? Good. Before we go out, we'll have to put some bug spray on you. Its extra strength might sting a little. Well, the truth is, we do have a bit of a problem here with insects and other arthropods. These critters don't pump oxygen through the blood like we do. Instead, oxygen must diffuse passively into their bodies through little holes and narrow tubes. So if they get too big, they'll literally suffocate. But with more oxygen in the air during the Carboniferous, they can grow much bigger. The dragonflies here are about a meter across, and the millipedes more than six feet long. They usually don't bite unless provoked, but the sight is a bit shocking until you get used to them. Hello? Hello? Oh dear. Nurse! Another couple's fainted. Wrapping things up this week with one of my longtime favorite authors, undisputed king of all things bizarre, brilliant, and bewildering, Mr. Frank Key, with his story, A Weekend with the Owl God. Frank's a writer, blogger, and broadcaster in the UK, best known for his self-published short story collections and his long-running radio series, Hooting Yard on the Air, which has been broadcast weekly on Residence FM since April 2004. If you're a regular of the Drabblecast, you're no stranger to Frank and his blind, mute, magnetic love monkeys. And you either love him or you don't understand what love is because you were raised by sea lions on some distant shore and their word for love is... Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Hooting Yard on the Air, or buy one of Frank's many anthologies. They're all great sources of more words you can learn to better equip yourself for life in today's busy hustle and bustle urban landscape, far from the rocky shoals you once called. Find Frank at hootingyard.org. For now, though, we bring you A Weekend with the Owl God. 
by Frank Key. If you have ever spent a weekend with an owl god, you will know that it can be a character-building experience. I have vivid memories of the time Chalchu Tecolotl, the night owl god of the Aztecs, made itself at home in my flat for three trying days. I live in a glitzy and gleaming block of futuristic design, impossibly stark, with lots of exciting remote control hubs. But the fact is, it is small, even pokey, and it doesn't help that I have crammed into it the contents of my ma's laboratory and my pa's garden shed, together with much of the furniture thrown out when the local vet refurbished his waiting room with a jumble of junk from a hellhole. That evening I was crumpled in a settee, eating lemon meringue pie and reading Pebblehead's best-selling paperback, Brute Beauty and Valor and Act, O Air, Pride, Plume, Here, Buckle. When the front door sensor vibrated, the hub hummed, and the plasma display flashed insistently. I had a visitor, though no one was expected. Thinking it might be a goon coming to serve me with an asbo, I depressed the locking knob on the entry pod, put down my pie plate, and tiptoed my way through some of Ma's alambis to the door. Peering through the tin-tin slat, I saw a hunched and somewhat shabby figure, dressed like a bus conductor, if you can remember bus conductors. He, I thought it was a he, was not holding anything that might be an asbo, so being an affable sort, I opened the door. He, or rather it, almost knocked me over as it somehow soared past me and came to rest next to the settee. Before either of us spoke, it plucked my plate off the floor and scoffed what was left of the lemon meringue pie. Then it said, Good evening. I am an Aztec god. My name is Chalchu Tecolotl, and I am an owl god of the night. You look like a bus conductor, I replied, and a shabby one at that. Then it screeched at me. It was the loudest and longest screech I have ever had the misfortune to hear. My ears did not stop ringing until Sunday lunchtime, by which time the owl god had completely taken over my life. Within the confines of my fab but tiny flat, it swooped, it pecked at things, it shifted shape, it did some strange rewiring manipulations to my stereo, it fluttered and preened, it fixed me for hours with a cold, inhuman stare, it sprouted tufts and feathers, it would not let me read my pebblehead paperback, it hawked up gobbets of semi-digested pie, it smashed all Ma's lab equipment to smithereens, then ate the smithereens, it shifted shape again. It summoned some of its Aztec god pals and held a rowdy Saturday night party. It kept me awake by looming menacingly just out of sight. It filled the bath with wounded mice and stoats and weasels. It made me sit through a four-hour documentary about Spandu Ballet. Its metabolism sped up to the point where everything in the flat was shaking. It phoned up my friends and told them I had moved to Dowlish. It somehow managed to drag a live swan into the bathroom room and savaged it with its talons. It screeched and screeched, drowning out the shipping forecast. It burned its bright incandescent fury into my very soul. And on Monday morning, its shape shifted again, just as it was pulverizing my bread bin. 
and turned back into what looked like a shabby bus conductor. I am leaving you now, it said, and it sounded almost regretful. I watched it leave and slumped on what was left of the settee. I took a nap, and then I went to the priest to explain to him that I was renouncing the Roman Catholic faith forever. He tried to lure me into the confessional box, but I threatened to tear his beating heart out of his chest and make an offering of it to that mighty orb, the sun. That shut him up. I sashayed off through the glittering streets, past Pang Hill Orphanage, and across Sawdust Bridge, towards glory. our trifecta. Hope you enjoyed. Shape-shifting owls, time-traveling old people, and just a hint of extraterrestrial copulation with bagpipes. I'd say it's been another productive week here at the Drabblecast. If you enjoyed our show this week, remember we do all this with your generous support. Consider making a donation to the Drabblecast to help us keep going. It'll make you feel knowing you're paying authors for their fun stories and putting wind in the sails of a quirky little online e-zine like us. Go for it. Find support options of our website at drabblecast.org. We greatly appreciate it. All right, let's wrap this up this week, as always, with our 100-character story winner this week. We, of course, have an ongoing contest in our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org to see who can write the best 100-character story, not counting spaces, for the entire week. We get lots of fun submissions. You should give it a shot. Anyone can post one. We pick a winner each week and post it out on our Twitter feed, at the Drabblecast. Our winner this week is Josh Peters, and here it is. They survived by living off the land. They raised chickens, grew their hair long, and protected the levee. Damn, hippies. Great one. Again, 100 character stories, not counting spaces. We call them twabbles. Go to forums.drabblecast.org and post yours. All right, folks, that's our show this week. Remember, the Drabblecast is produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes if you get a chance. Tell a friend about us. Blog. Spread the weird. Special thanks to our awesome episode artist this week, Forrest Warner. Forrest is a renowned horse archer and oil wrestling champion. He aspires to create graffiti that is legible from space, using only his ingenuity and piles of stones. At present, he's six years into a 35-square-mile rendering of Don't Mess With Texas. Our program this week was brought to you by managing editor Nathan Lee, our art director Bo Kyer, with additional help from Nikki Drayden, Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you to pay homage to that mighty orb, the sun. Mm-hmm.